There are principles that the world operates by in its own economy, but there are principles that God operates by in a heavenly economy, and He invites us to belong and come into relationship with Him and live according to those principles. And I'm sure I don't need to remind you, but God's ways are always higher than the world's ways. And I want to live according to His economy, not according to the world's economy. Amen? In order to live according to things God demonstrates and lays forth in His Word, principles, and precepts that He gives us, it is a life that requires faith. It doesn't, re- doesn't make sense to the natural mind. We have to live it by faith, trusting and believing that He is who He says He is and that He'll do what He says He's going to do. And it's a constant walk of trust, a relationship of trust, which is really what God's all about. He wants our heart. He doesn't want our money. He's interested in being first in our lives. And so God has created you to do amazing things in this world. He's given you gifts, talents, abilities. He's put a remarkable, unique personality in you. And God also intends to bring resources, supply, and provision through your hands so that you can do works and things for Him to advance the kingdom that He wants to use you to do here on earth, to make a difference in other people's lives. And that's exciting. But you have to understand as we kind of move out of this today that in order to live this life, the blessed life that we ca- we're calling it, uh, you have to be prepared to go to war. Because this isn't some neutral, I'm going to just you know sit back and everything's just going to happen. Like we're required to fight a fight of faith. And there is a war that is waged against the children of God that will come against the purposes of God in our lives and try to dismantle and unravel those. And I want to talk to you today as we wrap up this series about a few of the areas that you have to understand that this war is going to be waged on. A few battlefronts that you're going to have to be prepared to fight the fight of faith, not just during the four or five weeks of the series, not just during Christmas, but for the rest of your life, that you're going to have to fight and claim these promises from a place of faith and live by them. And if you do, you will continue to see the truth of God's promises revealed and demonstrated in your life, the way you live and how we bless other people. It goes all the way back to the original covenant promise that God makes with Abraham when he says, I will bless you. And in that blessing, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. You understand that? We're, we're blessed abundantly. Our God is a God of extravagance. But he's, he's blessing us immensely with abundance, not so that we can just have some fat-filled, high-on-the-hog life, but so that we can actually bless other people out of the abundance that flows from the supernatural supply that God has. And that's what we want to align ourselves with. So let's open up our Bibles to Luke 16. And we're going to begin reading in verses 9 through 13. And these are the words of Jesus here. As you probably know, your Bibles, many of them have red letters. If you have a red letter Bible, those are the words of Jesus. That's Jesus speaking. And you always want to pay particular attention to those. And so Jesus is talking here. He says in verse 9, starting out, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. 
Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Say that together. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let me to pray one more time. Father, in Jesus' name, I just I feel the need, God, to call upon you right now and ask you to work through me. I, I don't have in me what's required to bring forth your word in a transformational way. And so I ask you to just anoint me and impart to me what's needed in these moments ahead. I pray that you would just prepare the soil of our hearts now to receive with gladness the implanted word that can save our soul and produce abundant fruit in our life. We want to hear from you today. God, we're here to hear from you and not from man. May you have your way in this place today. We yield to you now. Holy Spirit, move in this place among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Well, Jesus has this really interesting uh, set of commands and this set of instruction here. And he's talking about how as believers, as people in the world, that it's impossible for us to serve two masters, right? That you can't, you can't serve God and simultaneously serve mammon at the same time. He, he just he draws this real definitive line down the middle and says it's it's one or the other. Now there's some things in life that you can kind of have both ways. Certain things you can have your cake and eat it too. Other things you can't. For example, in my home, it's Thanksgiving over the last couple of days, but somehow it's also Christmas. We're celebrating both of them right now. Thanksgiving meal, and then we got the Christmas tree going up. We got Christmas music. We got Christmas movies. I love it. It's like the best of both worlds. Is it Thanksgiving? Is it Christmas? I don't know. It's both, which is awesome. But there's some things in our lives that you just can't have both ways. And Jesus is hitting this thing on the head. He's nailing this. He's saying, look, you can't serve God and serve mammon. So what is mammon? Mammon is an Aramaic word, which means wealth, riches, material, possessions. That's really all it means, but if you trace the history back in the word, you'll find that Ammon, or the Aramaic translation mammon, was actually a Syrian god of riches whom they worshipped. And it, it was a, a way of believing that this god would be the provider for them and that wealth and riches were to be idolized and were to be worshipped. So this is really interesting because Jesus takes this word mammon and he personifies it in these verses. He kind of makes it into like a, a, a person, if you will, in the sense that you can't serve mammon and you can't serve God. Now all of a sudden there's this spiritual implication here that we have to pick up on and we have to understand. And that is that mammon, even though it's just possessions, wealth, riches that mammon desires to be served. It is looking for allegiance. It is looking for servants. And if we give our heart to that, then it actually becomes a master ruling over us in our lives. And Jesus is saying, you need to be aware of that. How does mammon become worshipped? Uh, how does it 
become a god? How has it become, do we become servants of that thing? When wealth and riches, money and possessions begin to take a place in our lives where they start to, by way of deception, make us think that it's providing something for us that only God himself can provide, then we begin to make it a master in our lives. Let's think about some things that people mistakenly believe that they can get from money and possessions. Security. Protection. Joy. Happiness. Provision. How about this? Self-worth. Value. Dignity. Do you see that? These aren't foreign concepts, folks, at all, are they? People in our world deceptively gain these things instead of getting them from God alone. They get them by possessions, by money, by material things. And they gain a false sense of all of this because it's a broken, dysfunctional way of meeting a need in our human heart that only God has created and wired to fill for us. Does that make sense? He's created us to to fill us that way. God's not created. We're created. You understand what I'm saying? So he's going to meet that need for us alone. And so we begin to put mammon in that place, and then it has our loyalty. But the interesting thing is wealth and money and material possessions alone are not inherently good or bad, right? They're, they're just kind of like neutral, so to speak. It's what we do with them and how we steward them, rule over them, or how we're ruled by them that determines whether it's being used for good or whether it's being used for bad. And so Jesus says this statement in, this, in these verses that give us indication about this. He says, if you make friends by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they will welcome you into an everlasting home. What does that mean? Well, first of all, to fail means to die. That's all that means. You physically die, right? Depart from this earth. And he says, if you will make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, meaning if you will use resources, material possessions, worldly wealth, if you will use these things to do God's work, to glorify Him, and to advance His kingdom, that when we get to heaven, there will be people there in the population of heaven that we will meet with, encounter, that will be there and have been impacted, eternally speaking, have been impacted in their lives by the way that we stewarded the resources that God gave us. God can actually take that if we'll submit to his plan and then allow him to bless those resources, then that can actually be converted, that can be utilized to actually build the kingdom and advance the kingdom. That's pretty amazing to think about because money in itself is neutral. In fact, it says that money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's the servitude of that, not the thing itself that makes it the root of evil. It also says in those same verses in Timothy, it says that you came into this world with nothing and you're leaving this world with nothing. Does that make sense? So all, everything about money, is just, it's just a material thing that's here 
and it's not going with us, but we can allow God to use that to convert that into building his kingdom to actually uh, translating into eternal purposes and eternal things to where when we get to heaven, there's going to be some kind of conversation going on. There's going to be some kind of things happening when we're being received in there where the way we stewarded this resource actually impacted the eternal scene. That's pretty powerful. God can convert and do that with it. But money in itself is just, it's here and it's not going with us. And the important thing we recognize in that is that it is meant to be ruled. We are not meant to be ruled by that. You see, mammon can rule a person. We can, people can become servants to wealth, riches, and material things. In fact, here's a good test to perhaps an unhealthy loyalty to that. If there's a thought or a belief in your heart that if you just had more money, your problems would go away. If I just had more stuff, more things then this whole situation and this whole issue would be solved and remedied. If that's really what someone thinks, it's possible they have an unhealthy attachment to mammon because that's not what we need. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. What we need is we need more of God. We need his promises flowing through our lives. We don't need more money, more of stuff. That's a material thing that we're meant to rule, not be ruled by. And as children of God, if we submit to God's principles operate according to his ways then our the the wealth and the resources will be blessed by his hand and it will be able to convert and multiply into kingdom works that affects the eternal scene on our behalf because god is using them through us very powerful he also says in these verses that if you can't be trusted with unrighteous mammon how can you be trusted with true riches. Now, there's a direct connection here to God saying that true riches, first of all, souls, people, those are true riches. And part of all of our destinies, our purposes that God has for us, make no mistake about it, is to impact people. Nobody's an island and we're not meant to be that way. We're meant to impact people in this world. And God's saying, in order for me to trust you, to bring you true riches, to impact people, then you have to be able to prove that you're trusted with material things. You see that. There's a direct connection between the two. He's saying, if you can't handle this, if you can't rule over this thing, and you're ruled by it, then how can I trust you to bring the thing that's most dear to my heart, people and souls? need to hear the gospel, need to be built up in their faith, they need to be discipled, and so on. Right? That's what's true to God's heart. And so there's a direct correlation between those two. He says, if you can be trusted with that, then you'll be trusted with true riches. And so um, we need to recognize this and see, okay, God has a plan. He has a way of doing things. And if we will allow it to, if we will rule over it instead of it ruling over us, then we will be able to see the maximum impact that God wants to make through the use of these material things. And it just becomes a tool in our hand, which is something that we have authority over instead of something that actually has some kind of rule over our spirit. Does that make sense? So that's the first point in this whole deal of it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a war. You've got to be prepared to go to war to live the breast, the, the breast life. Oh, my God. The blessed life is because you have to determine what master you're going to serve. 
And Jesus says, you could serve one or you could serve the other. Now, let me show you another area where this battle is going to be waged on this another front where we're going to have to be prepared to be at war uh, in order to live the blessed life is in the flesh nature versus God's nature. Okay, so we have God's nature in us when we are born again. Spirit of God comes to live on the inside of us. It's the fullness of the Godhead. There is no diminished or diluted power or purity of God. It's Him, all Him living in us. Put your mind around that one, okay? And that is God's fullness, meaning there is His nature there. And Peter says that we have the ability to become partakers of that divine nature, meaning we would share in that nature, we would be converted more and more by that nature. In the sense that our spirits still live in a, in a body that is referred to as a tent, a temporary dwelling place that is flesh. And we know from pa Paul's writings in Galatians that the flesh and the spirit are always at war. They never want the same thing. They're contrary to one another. So God's nature and our desire to do God's will in our heart, in, our, in the spirit man, and the flesh are constantly opposed to each other. So what does that mean? It means that we have to bring the flesh under subjection. The spirit has to rule the flesh, not the flesh rule the spirit. That's why the author of Proverbs says that a man who cannot rule his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. And the enemy can just march right on in and he can do whatever he wants to do and set up footholds in our lives and bring damage against the plans of God for us. And so there's this fleshly nature that we have to come against. And the flesh wants certain things that we have to bring under subjection. For example, one of those is the flesh is selfish by nature. It's self-seeking and it's self-serving. It wants its own. That's the nature of the flesh. Now, pray God, His nature can be worked into us as we, part, as we fellowship with Him and the fleshly nature can be worked out of us more and more by bringing it under subjection where the spirit rules the flesh. That's one of the things in the maturity of our faith that we can come to that place. And so we see that the flesh is selfish. It wants its own. And I mean, my wife, she's incredible, right? She's raised, we've raised six kids and she's taken care of all of them as babies and she's nursed them and done all these things. And I'm sorry, girls, I hate to break this to you, but I don't remember a point ever when you guys were little where you came up and said, hey, mom, you know what? We're going to give you the day off. You just take it easy. You don't need to worry about anything. Don't need to feed me. I'm going to skip a couple meals. I'm going to sleep in. And, you know, you just get some rest, mom. You need it. You've been working hard. We're not born into, you know what I'm saying? We're born into the world with a fleshly nature and it just, it seeks and wants its own, which means that has to be worked out of us. That has to be dealt with. And God continues to do that in and through us as we walk with him. But there's this section in Deuteronomy chapter 15 where God is speaking to Moses, talking to the people as they're getting ready to bring entrance into the promised land, their purpose, and he's talking to them in this particular chapter about generous living, which is a lifestyle of God's people, trusting him in the tithe, living generously in offerings. That's that's his way. That's the lifestyle we're created to live, how we interact with him, how we relate to him. 
And so he's talking to Moses about uh, being generous and living generously. And he's warning him, as he's warning us, against some of the things that we need to be aware of that can happen because of the flesh. So let's read in Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. Let's start there. He says, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, now listen to this, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and then your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin to you. So he's addressing this area, this issue of selfishness by saying, hey, I'm going to lead you to be generous. In fact, they were meant to be generous out of the abundance that was there for them, the promised land flowing with milk and honey. There's going to be abundance, and you're going to need to be generous out of that. But what he says here is when you go to lend to your brother, don't have a wicked thought in your mind. It's interesting he calls this a wicked thought. And he says that, when you start to give to him, don't step back and think, oh, wait, next year is the year of release, and then you not give to him. What does that mean? Well, the year of release happened in the seventh years as well as in the 50th year. 50th is the Jubilee year, but every seven years was a year of release. That means that, God bless you, that means that if you were to have a debt owed to you, someone was indebted to you, then in the year of release, guess what you did? you release that debt. I wish the mortgage companies operated by this principle. Truly do. So he's saying, when you go in and it's time to give and be generous, don't have a wicked thought and get selfish and think, wait a minute, if I give to them, next year I have to release this and I get nothing back in return. You understand that? There is a selfish motive of the flesh it always wants to sneak in and start to think about, if I give, what do I get? And giving with expectation, hate to break it to you, but is not really giving. That is exchanging. That is, you know what I'm saying, negotiate. We're talking about giving in its purest form, which means you're doing it without expecting something in return. And many times, we people will, will try to will slant some things or will... We'll try to just shift some things around where when we give, somehow there can be a benefit in it for us as well. And Jesus, is, he admonishes this. He says, listen, when you throw a party, when you give, when you do that, uh, don't just do it to your friends and your relatives. Even sinners lend to sinners when they know that they're going to repay them, right? He says, when you do that, do it for people who can give you absolutely nothing in return. That's the real test of your heart. Does that make sense? He's to do it without any expectation whatsoever. But the flesh is going to want us to think about self. And God's going to say, I'll take care of you. I'm asking you to be generous out of the abundance that I'm the one bringing to you. Let's not stop up the flow of this thing by getting selfish and thinking about how you can get something back in return that I'm the one that promises I'm going to bring to you anyway if you keep your hands open and let this thing flow freely through you. So there's that selfishness that starts to work out. Listen to what else he says. 
in Deuteronomy 15, chapter, or chapter 15, verse 10, he says, You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give it to him. Because this thing, the Lord your God, will bless you in all your works and in all which you put your hand. So he says, you also have to be aware that the flesh is going to want to cause you to be grieved after you let go of something. It's going to cause you to want to regret letting go of something that you once had your hand on, as if we owned it in the first place, right? He's saying, if you are grieving and regretting giving after you've gave that, then has God really done the work that he wants to do in our heart, if that's the case? You see, selfishness tries to attack before we release. Grieving tries to attack after we've released. The enemy is trying to hit you on both sides of the thing. You see that? He wants, to, he, he wants that flesh to be there working against the things that God wants to do to bring his nature into your life and have you live the way that he is, more according to him than according to that flesh. And so there's that selfishness and then there's that greed. But there's another area that the flesh tries to creep up in when it comes to giving, and that's in the area of pride, where there are people who will actually give and give quite a bit. Usually they have a lot, but when they do, there's a motive there to gain recognition and gain some sort of value, some sort of worth out of that. It's as if whenever they give, they feel better about themselves and somehow they're esteem, it's esteeming them in their value because they're able to gain recognition and gain glory out of being someone who gives. That's like, you know, the big church building campaign, right? And somebody gives to it says, but I'll do that, but I want a plaque up there with my name on it, with my face right there where everybody can see it. I just cringe at stuff like that. It's like, what do you, you know, what's the point here, right? Listen, Jesus addresses this. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Listen to what he says. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Again, he nails it. And he, t he tells us in these verses, there's really two rewards. When you give, if you give and then pride creeps in, and then you take the glory for that. You make sure you get recognized for that. You make sure you mention it. You make sure it gets mentioned. I, you know what I'm talking about. Somehow you put a light on that thing somewhere and people know. They say, okay, you have your reward now. You just got your glory from men here in this world and now you forfeited the reward from your Father in heaven. He will bring the reward to those who give in secret. I'm not saying people won't ever find out about things. They, they do sometimes. It's just not by your own hand doing that. Does that make sense? But he's saying, look, if you do that in secret and you trust that God will reward you openly, then he's the one who will bring the better reward. But a lot of times people, this, this thing of pride, like they get value out of it, they get worth, 
and they want to be known for that thing. So we, those are areas of the flesh that really continue to work against the things of the Spirit working in our lives that we have to know and we have to constantly be at war by keeping that flesh under subjection and under our feet and setting our eyes on things of the Spirit, not on things of the flesh, and walk according to those ways. So there's the what master are we serving, what nature is winning out in our lives. And then the last thing that I wanted to say today, just kind of cover as we wrap this up, is what kind of impact are we having? What kind of impact are we really having for the kingdom of God? And I'm going to say this just real clean and straightforward, how I believe. Way too many of God's people are being hindered and restricted and bound up in the area of resources and provision and the impact that God wants to use them to make for the kingdom is being marginalized because they're not operating the way that God wants them to in this particular area. Praise God that can be undone and we can move forward from that. Amen. But the point is, is that God has really created all of us to make a major impact in advancing his kingdom here on earth. And we've already talked about how there's eternal implications to resources and wealth and money by way of how we actually steward them and use them while we're here on this earth. But you and I and all of us are created to have a supernatural supply flowing into our lives constantly to be able to equip us with everything we need to do the work that God's calling us to do. Where we can give freely, we can sow seed, we can pour into things. That there's never a limitation because our hand is like this. Easy come, easy go. It's from Him and it's, it's coming in and it's going out and He's in control of that. The moment I do this, what happens? I may think I'm holding on to something but I'm also keeping anything from getting in there. You see that? We can't live like that. That's not the lifestyle God calls us to live. It's a generous lifestyle. It's one of trusting Him. He wants to use you to make major impact in the kingdom. And resources, wealth, provision, money, those are just tools. And God will use them in your life, but they're just tools. He tells us how to manage them and how to steward them. And if we do, guess what? His hand's on them, and they're blessed. And I only want to work in the place of blessing. When God blesses it, it can do anything. If his hand isn't on it, there, I can't do enough with it. You understand? I can't do enough with it if God's hand isn't on it. It'll never amount to anything of eternal significance if God isn't blessing it. He says, tithe, bring the first fruits, the first 10%, I'll bless the rest. The rest of that 90%, you return the tithe to me. It's already his. It's sacred, set apart, and holy. We give it to him. And the rest is blessed. And then we operate in that blessing. And then he says, sow seeds of offering. Tithe, then offering. Above and beyond that, where we give. This is where the Spirit of God leads us supernaturally, speaking to us. Sow seed here. Give here. I need you to do this right now. I need you to call this person to do this. I need you to go over there and do this. God just supernaturally leading. Okay, Lord. Okay, Lord. Okay, Lord. This is a picture of a life of a believer. Sowing seed plentifully. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully, right? Just keep your hand open and keep sowing seed. These are, there's a tithe and then there's these offerings. Let me say one thing about that because Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians 9 about offerings and sowing seed. One thing you need to know. He also says don't give begrudgingly or out of compulsion. Do ne- never, ever, ever allow a man or a person to manipulate you into giving. That's not the Lord. And you should never feel guilty about, about it. 
You let the Lord lead you. If he's leading you not to, then you don't. If he leads you to, then you do, right? It's just, that's the way we live. But it always makes me just, ugh, whenever I see a thing on TV and there's some preacher saying, write a check for this amount right now, and if you do this much, then your blessing is on the way. If it's, as if it's some, like, tiered package or subscription that we're signing up for, and you get the gold package or the platinum package or whatever. I just want to, like, reach my hand through the TV and slap them. You don't manipulate people to give. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for letting me slip that in. Okay. So there's tithes, there's offerings, but I've come to learn that there is also a level that God wants to use his people at that's an area of spiritual gift of giving. There's a spiritual gift of giving. Paul speaks about this in Romans 12. He lists other gifts, and he talks about gifts in Corinthians too. They're they're spread out through the Bible. Some people say, here's the, I don't think we know all the gifts personally, but regardless, in Romans, he says this. He says, hey, if your gift is to lead, then lead. If your gift is to exhort, then exhort. If your gift is to prophesy, then prophesy. If your gift is mercy, if your gift is ministry, do these things. Here's what he also says. If you have a gift to give, if your gift is giving, then give and do so liberally. And I have seen through the years and watch God use people in a way that, frankly, I can only describe as extravagant. Extravagant. Where God will issue an ask. He will issue a call to men and women in the kingdom where there is a big need and there is a big heart and a lot of trust and they will give in an extravagant fashion. I've heard stories of people giving houses away, giving cars away, major, major things. Checks that were absolutely extravagant here's the beautiful part if god knows we're trusted in the tithe we're trusted in offerings he will issue that ask to men and women who when we hear that will not be fearful will not be worrisome but will actually rejoice and celebrate because they know god's about ready to do something big and there are moments and times where the kingdom needs somebody to write a big check to do a big thing and the beautiful thing is god owns it all so he'll never be limited but there is that gift of giving that's highly liberal, highly extravagant that I believe God wants to get us to so that whenever he wants to use us in a big way, he can issue that ask, we respond in faith, and we're willing to let it go. Because frankly, it's all his anyway. And sometimes we live under this false notion that I've accumulated this, I've worked so hard for this, I've done all of these things, and we put ourselves in a position of ownership instead of him. But if it was all gone tomorrow, can I just encourage you? God could rebuild it faster than you ever did before. I love the song by Lee Greenwood. It's a patriotic song. But it says, if all the things that I worked, if tomorrow all the things I worked for, wait, if tomorrow all the things were gone that I worked for all my life and I had to start again with just my children and my wife, I'd thank my lucky stars to be living here today because that flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. That's always inspired me because I feel like, you know, Katie and I have been very blessed and we've exercised biblical principles over the years. I give God credit for that. But we've, you know, done very well on the sale of a couple of houses. We've saved over the years. We've been debt free. I mean, it's just all these things. But I, I'm telling you this in all sincerity. I mean this. I've reached this place. If it was all gone tomorrow, if it just all went away, I have my babies and I have my wife. I had the Lord. I'd be okay. 
I just really would be okay. He would rebuild that thing. I know he would, and it would not change his ability to do great things in and through my life. Whether that happens or whether it don't happen, I don't know. All I can tell you is my heart's not tied to that stuff. If it goes, it goes. If it stays, it stays. All I know is that God's an extravagant God. And whether I have something that I think is mine or whether he's just, he's going to constantly bring that extravagant supply into my life so that I can do the things that he's wanting to do. I just want him to call me trustworthy. I just want to be trusted in his sight so that he can bring me true riches and we can go build and impact the kingdom together in a partnership with him. Amen.